Hello everyone and welcome to this week's edition of Money's Crazy Mind. I'm just coming to you at the beginning of this episode to say there is a reason that that advisory is at the beginning of every episode of Money's Crazy Mind, whether the topic is controversial or not. This week's episode is a perfect example as to why I put that advisory at the beginning of every episode. Please, this episode may not be suitable for all audiences. Discretion is advised. Warning, Money's Crazy Mind contains language that may not be suitable for all listeners. Discretion is advised, but will be completely ignored. Welcome to the podcast about everything and nothing all at the same time. This is Money's Crazy Mind. Alright, yes, hello, welcome everybody to this week's edition of Money's Crazy Mind. This episode is definitely going to be controversial in nature. So before we get into the topic that we're going to discuss this week, I support my friends in any way I possibly can. Be it going to one of their concerts, going to their hair salon, shopping at their store, whatever it is. I always try to support my friends. This is no different. A friend of mine recently got into the Guinness Book of World Records for having the largest Ghostbusters memorabilia collection. And I just want to say congratulations to Bobby O'Connor, one of the founding members of the Northeast Ohio Ghostbusters, for earning that record. His record is currently set at 1,221 pieces of Ghostbusters memorabilia, and that's not even a third of the stuff that Bobby's collected over the years. The rules that Guinness has in place made it very hard to go beyond that 1,200-piece collection. Uh, We did the best we could to try to set that number as high as we could, but we had to follow the rules and regulations, obviously, that Guinness has in place. So thank you, Bobby, for jumping onto Slime Square this past weekend to talk about setting the record and also for including me in helping document and count all those items for the record. This is a huge honor, and I hope that you are enjoying all of your newfound fame that has come with setting this record. With that said, records are made to be broken and like Bobby said on Slime Square he really hopes somebody breaks it so congratulations Bobby enjoy this you've earned it now this episode is highly controversial this is something that has been kind of weighing really really heavy on my mind recently I don't know why it has it just has and I think I'm going to do a different take on this um, than you might hear on some other podcasts that are more geared towards this specific topic of professional wrestling. I stay away 99% of the time from professional wrestling on this show, mainly just because there's so many wrestling podcasts out there. I mean, Dirt Sheets are doing their own wrestling podcast. Eric Bischoff has a podcast. Fucking Vince goddamn Russo has a podcast, bro. 
Um, you know, Bruce Pritchard, Jim Ross, Taz. Well, Taz doesn't anymore, but Taz had his own radio show and his own podcast. You know, all these guys have their, and there's a fucking daily radio show called Busted Open Radio for professional wrestling. So why, when there's all these wrestling podcasts out there, should I waste my valuable time and my valuable airtime to talk about a topic that's being talked about all over the fucking world? I just don't see a point. And I think that a lot of those wrestling radio shows, a lot of those wrestling podcasts have a different take on this. And yes, wrestlers have been interviewed and wrestlers have been given their, their you know, have given their prescri- perspective on this. Wow, I went Porky Pig there for a second. I don't know why. Um, you know, and yeah, I value their opinions. I really, really do. You know, I've been a wrestling fan since I was eight years old, you know, but, you know, just over the years, just thinking about this and then having Dark Side of the Ring documented and talk about things that I had no idea about when it comes to this topic. I think that's kind of where my change in attitude and my change of heart came from. And, you know... It's hard. It really is. Because I looked up to this person. He was one of my all-time favorites. And when I heard what happened, I was absolutely devastated. And I've had one singular thought until the Dark Side of the Ring documentary you know, shed a lot of light on things. And you know, I kind of just want to get my thoughts out. And I want to bring somebody on either, you know, that supports my take or is against my take and kind of just, you know, talk to somebody about it, you know, but I wanted to take this moment to just come out, say what I got to say, let whoever I bring on the show hear what I have to say, and then you know, we can do the debate on another episode. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about Chris Benoit. And I'm talking about what he did to his wife, to his son, to his family, to his friends. And just some things that I kind of noticed while watching Dark Side of the Ring and just kind of just kind of put it out there. I don't really want to talk about Chris's career because, you know, Chris, yeah, Chris's career has a lot to do with kind of what happened, but I I think he's suffering enough. I think his career has suffered enough. And, you know, so what am I talking about? Well, there's two camps on this. There's camp A, that says that Chris deserves to be in the WWE Hall of Fame. And then there's Camp B that says fuck Benoit and fuck what he did to his family. He doesn't deserve the Hall of Fame. I used to be a member of Camp A. And now I'm a member of Camp B. And some of my wrestling fan friends that I've talked to about this have already kind of been like, well, you know, what the fuck? Like, like why change your opinion? Why are you letting... 
dark side of the ring, change your opinion. You know, his in-ring accolades deserve to be honored and deserve to be, you know, thought upon for years to come. And in a way, they're right, but in a way, they're also wrong. Putting the man in the WWE Hall of Fame now, you're glorifying a murderer. And I've never thought of it that way, but after some details came to light, and, you know, I, I verified these details in other mediums, so I don't want people to think that I'm just taking what was said on Dark Side of the Ring as truth you know i've done further research on this and i'll explain where i've gotten this information from so chris's career is chris's career you know it's an amazing career and he definitely did change wrestling he changed the mindset of professional wrestling and what do i mean by that well he he took professional wrestling and he took that stigma that you have to be, you know, six foot five and above and, you know, 300 pounds and above to be a heavyweight. And he kind of took it and flying head butted it, you know. And, you know, him, Eddie Guerrero, uh, Rey Mysterio, you know, guys like that have now become world champions because of what Chris and Eddie did for the business and of course you can't talk about Chris Benoit without talking about Eddie and that's a lot of what we're going to talk about here you know Chris got his start in the business because he was watching Stampede Wrestling and saw Dynamite Kid and he said I want to be the next Dynamite Kid you know so he had his start in Stampede you know and then he went on to Japan and he went on to WCW and went on to WWE you know WCW is kind of where the world got to see what Chris Benoit was capable of. And I know that he did a lot in Japan, but at the time when Chris was in Japan, not a lot of American audiences were watching Japanese strong style wrestling. They weren't watching New Japan. So when he was Pegasus Kid or Kid Pegasus in New Japan, not a lot of people from the States were watching him. And then, you know, he went to ECW and a more a little bit of a regional audience got to see who he was and then when Dean Malenko, Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero got swept up by WCW in one fell swoop you know they started bringing in that cruiserweight division that Eric Bischoff was trying to build and then along with that came Chris Jericho and several others so WCW is definitely where Benoit's major story starts i'm sorry my throat is killing me i got to grab a beverage here real quick we're gonna just do a quick beverage break <sighs> much better you know so that cruiserweight division is where chris got his start and this is also where nancy chris's wife came into play uh he met nancy in wcw and i know i said we're not going to talk about chris's career but i'm just dropping highlights because I think it's important to where we're going to go with the story. We're not talking about any of his accolades or anything like that. It's just, you know, he started here, he ended up here, ended up here, ended up here, dead here. <clears throat> so when he got to WCW, there were two bookers. 
Terry Taylor, and Kevin Sullivan. Sullivan was working a lot with Benoit. At the time, Kevin Sullivan was married to Nancy. And Nancy's sister, quite poetically, said this on Dark Side of the Ring, and it's kind of the way I remember it. Um, Kevin Sullivan booked his own uh, divorce. And what do I mean by booked? In the professional wrestling business, the guy that creates the matches and creates the stories and sets all that shit up is called the booker. And for WCW, there were two main bookers, and then they went through the executive vice president, Eric Bischoff, and that was Kevin Sullivan and Terry Taylor. In this instance, it was Kevin Sullivan. Sullivan was married to Nancy at the time, who was known as Woman in WCW. She was also known as Woman in in ECW. Um, Ironically, around the same time, so I'm thinking that she worked for both companies, but I haven't verified that. Um, That's not important. So Sullivan booked this angle where Benoit and Nancy started seeing each other. Mind you, this is all storyline. And then, you know, slowly, as these things happen, Nancy and Chris became friends. And Nancy started confiding in Chris about some things that were happening in her personal life and her marriage with Kevin Sullivan. So, one day, Nancy called Chris, and she was very upset, and told her, um, told him, I should say, that, Kevin had hit her and had abused her. And Chris called Dean Malenko and Dean called his wife because his wife worked for a psychiatrist. Um, They brought her to Dean's wife. Dean's wife documented everything, took photographs. And from then on, you know, they were working towards getting Chris to help get Nancy away from Kevin Sullivan. Fast forward a little bit. Kevin and Chris were booked in a match against each other. The match went on. The match got very heated. The argument continued backstage. Uh, Somebody grabbed Nancy's wife, who was in the audience, um, and said, you need to go backstage. Something's going on between Kevin and Chris. She goes backstage She's thinking she's going to um, go with Kevin. And Chris kind of grabs her and says, don't, don't, don't. And hands her the phone. Nancy's on the phone and says, don't go with Chris. Don't go, Kevin. Go with Chris. He'll keep you safe. Something's going on. I'll explain everything when you get here. And then that's when Nancy left Kevin Sullivan. So, Kevin Sullivan booked his own divorce the relationship between Chris and Nancy starts to bloom and starts to blossom from then on Um, Nancy's sister had said that she'd never seen Nancy more in love so the relationship started out very very strong and very very good while Chris was wrestling in Japan he met Eddie Guerrero we're jumping around quite a bit but I'm just laying groundwork for when we get into the nasty later. Um, Eddie had told his wife Vicky that you know he didn't like this kid, Pegasus kid, 
you know, and he's going to be stuck working him for a while. And he was really regretting it. You know, Vicky was kind of just like, just do the job, get paid, come home. During this series of matches that Eddie and Chris had with each other in New Japan, they became friends. And that friendship continued to grow. You know, it grew in ECW, obviously grew in WCW, and then it grew even further in the WWE. Um, Eddie, as everybody knows, that's a wrestling fan, had his demons. He was not without fault. Um, You know, thanks to injuries and, you know, other just stigmas of the wrestling business, Eddie became addicted to painkillers. He also became an alcoholic. And obviously, anybody that knows addiction knows that you don't ever really want to mix alcohol and painkillers. And Eddie was doing it in abundance. Um, Chavo Guerrero, Eddie's nephew, had kind of mentioned that Chris, over the years, had kind of become Eddie's road nurse, for lack of better terminology. Uh, Chris would stay with Eddie until he fell asleep. Once Eddie would fall asleep, Chris would cover him with a blanket, roll him onto his side uh, to make sure that he didn't choke on his own vomit through the night. Uh, You know, just hearing that, it's sad. It's very sad. Um, Not just for Eddie, but for Chris as well. You know, knowing that that's the level that he had to take to take care of his friend. And more weird shit you know was happening uh as the story goes on but that's kind of the start of it you know they became really good friends in ww or uh new japan you know and that friendship followed them throughout the years uh chavo had also mentioned that after eddie got clean he became very very religious and he would do these kind of sermons in the locker room, uh, bef- you know, during shows. Um, and the weird part about that is, is Eddie would do him naked. And Chris kind of took a lot of what Eddie was saying to heart. He wasn't really religious before that. And then once Eddie started doing these uh, sermons a la nude, um, you know, Chris kind of took, he to that to the point to where uh eddie even gave chris a bible and chris kept that bible for the rest of his life um and you know great you know eddie found religion and it was a reason for him to stay clean and stay healthy uh and you know okay you know, Chris became religious because of that. You know, his friend was religious and things of that nature. You know, nothing weird there. You know, the nude part is definitely strange, but that's the Eddie Guerrero story, not the Chris Benoit story. Um, so, you know, these guys started doing everything together. They started working out together, hanging out together. Obviously, Vicky and Nancy became friends because of all of this. And, you know... Before all this, Eddie and uh, Eddie, uh, Chris and, and Nancy did eventually be get, get married, and they had a child named Daniel. Chris also has a son from his first marriage. Um, and Nancy loved or the the first son 
as her own as well. And he even went on to say that um, she wasn't stepmom. You know, she was mom. And... I'm sorry. It, it just so many people are affected by this. And... This really is hard to talk about. <laughs> Moving on. Um, 2005, the summer of 2005. Um, you know, Eddie had been clean for a while. They're on the road heading to the next town for Monday Night Raw. Eddie, Chris, and Chavo were all staying at the same hotel. And the night before Raw, you know, when they were checking in, they had told each other, we'll meet up in the morning, we'll go work out, and then we'll head to the arena. You know, so they got their rooms, all went their separate ways. In the middle of the night, well, early morning, we'll say that, uh, Chavo gets a phone call in his hotel room, and it's the front desk, and they say that we're having a hard time, uh, we're, there, there's a problem with your uncle is the words that they used. And Chavo goes, okay, what seems to be the problem? Uh, the <clears throat> front desk person continues to say, um, you know, we've been trying to reach him for this wake-up call, and he's not answering. Uh, we've sent security to his room, but he's not answering. Chavo then hears at his hotel room door, answers the door, it's hotel security, and they say, you know, Hey, come on down to Eddie's room. Let's see if we can get him to answer for you. Chavo goes down to Eddie's room. Hey, Eddie, you know, what's going on? You know, it's Chavito. You know, answer the door. Eddie, you know, is everything okay? No answer from Eddie. Security breaks down the door and Chavo sees Eddie lying on the ground. He's gargling having a hard time breathing obviously not looking like latino heat at this point chava runs to him unk unk are you okay you know uh, eddie's just <laughs> and uh proceeds to pass in chavo's arms Meanwhile, um, Chris calls Chavo's cell phone. And he goes, hey, I'm downstairs. Where are you guys at? Chavo proceeds to tell Chris, you know, I need you to be sitting down. And then tells Chris that Eddie has passed. Chris lets out a reaction um, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. Um, I think the only other time I've ever seen anyone have a reaction like this is when a wife has lost a husband or a mother or a father has lost a child. I think that's really the only way I could kind of describe it. You know, so 
you know, again, weird thing number two. Um, but I, I've also never lost my best friend. So I don't know that that might be out of the realm of, you know, how I would react. But it, it seems strange to me when Chavo explained how Chris reacted. Like he said, like he just completely broke down and was just like, no, no, not Eddie, no. And just like started openly weeping. And I'm just like, man, that that's kind of weird. Um, okay. But again, I've never lost my best friend and God forbid that I ever do. Like, you know, I, my best friend's younger than me. So I don't want, to lose my best friend before I go. You know, so damn it, if you're listening to this, you better fucking adhere to that. Huh. Um very, very a shocking blow. Not only to, you know, Eddie's family and, and Chris and his family, but you know, to, to to the fans. You know, I mean Eddie meant a lot to the business and like I said, him and Chris changed the business. And to the point to where WWE awarded both of them on the exact same night at WrestleMania. Chris wins the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. Eddie wins the World Heavyweight Championship. Actually, reverse that. Eddie wins the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. Chris wins the World Heavyweight Championship. And they did on the same night. And Chris closed the show. He was the main event. Eddie came out to the ring and hugged him in a very non-kayfabe moment. Kayfabe is kind of the mystique of the WWE. It's the it's you don't want to break kayfabe, and um, obviously it was broken that night. It's been broken before with the curtain call and other certain events, um, the Montreal screw job. Um, but you know that that moment was very non-kayfabe, but it meant the world. Not only to Chris and Eddie, but to the fans. To see those two real-life friends embrace at WrestleMania, holding up their championships proud. Because they changed the business that guys of that size can be world heavyweight champions. It meant a lot for the business. And then, you know, Eddie dies. Um, they do a tribute for him on Raw. And again, just a very, very strange reaction from Chris uh, during his tribute. Um, you know, due to copyright, I can't really play it. But, you know, if you go back and you look for the on the WWE Network and you look for the Monday Night Raw and the SmackDown uh, tributes to Eddie... Um, you know, Chris is is openly weeping, and you know I love you, I miss you, I can't wait to see you again. It's not fair that you're gone. You know things like that. You know just very strange things that he's saying. You know, and Chavo, his nephew, isn't even really saying anything like that. Uh, Vicky, obviously, she was very emotional. So, weird thing number two. Let's move on to weird thing number three. Obviously, Vicky um, is devastated. Eddie's widow. Um, you know, and she's got young kids at home that she's trying to take care of now by herself. 
because she doesn't have Eddie. Uh, Chris and Nancy, you know, being the friends that they are, they go to uh, the Guerrero's home to try to help Vicky the best they can, you know, with taking care of the home, taking care of Vicky, taking care of the kids. Um, and the one time that they were there, when Chris was there, Chris disappeared for a while. And Vicky went to go look for him. And on several occasions, found him in different parts of the house. One was uh, Eddie's weight room, Eddie's home gym. And she found him in there crying. Um, there was another room where there was a picture of Eddie on the wall. And he started crying looking at it. And the strangest one, and this is kind of the one that made me go, what? Uh, Vicky finds Chris in their bedroom. On Eddie's side of the bed, you know, embracing Eddie's pillow and just openly weeping. And, again, I've never lost my best friend, but that doesn't seem like a, I lost my best friend reaction. That almost seems like I lost a lover, or I lost a spouse, or even I lost a child. Like, those are the kinds of reactions that I see and that I've personally scene you know from husbands who have lost wives wives who have lost husbands parents who have lost children those are the way that they react they they find that one object that they knew that that person loved dearly or you know it had their scent or you know whatever you always hear that when a husband or a wife loses somebody they always hang on to that one item that still has their scent on it because they want to feel that that person is still there. That's kind of how I looked at this. Like, and when Vicky described it, I'm just like, what the fuck? But again, I've never lost a best friend. But I mean, this this is just my take on what I'm hearing. And again, a lot of these details I didn't know until this documentary and until i started going well you know it's coming out of vicky guerrero's mouth can it be a lie and then you look into it and you find out that there were other instances of this and then you hear other wrestlers who have nothing to gain by lying on this show by nothing to gain by doing a work shoot so i'm taking it at their word I don't see any other way to do that. So, weird instance number three, right there. The way Chris acted in the Guerrero home after Eddie's death. You know, and then Chris immediately went back to work. Took no time to mourn. Took no time to do any of that. You know, immediately goes back to WWE and goes to work. I don't know that I could do that. Like, if I lose a friend, my best friend, I would definitely need some time away from work. But then, you know, 
he starts saying things like, I haven't been in this arena since Eddie. You know, the last time I was here, Eddie was here. And people would find him in locker rooms and things like that crying. Uh, so Chavo and Nancy and Vicky and several others, you know, tell Chris, why don't you get a diary or a journal so that you can kind of keep all your communications, you know, your thoughts about Eddie that way so that you're not, you know, breaking down, weeping in locker rooms and things like that. Like, so they did. And Chris started writing in it and keeping his thoughts about Eddie in there. And, um, you know, there was some weird stuff in that journal uh, that came out in CNN stories and, and things like that. Like he kept talking about seeing Eddie again soon. And, you know, we won't be apart too much longer. I'm coming. Um, just things like that. Like things that... that a person thinking rationally and thinking normally wouldn't say. We're getting pretty close here, guys. Um, so that went on for a while. Um, and then you start to hear stories that Chris hasn't just changed at work. He's changing at home. And he's changing at home... Quite drastically. Um, there are quite a few reports out there that Chris kind of became Kevin Sullivan in a way where, you know, there was abuse or at least allegations of abuse against Nancy. Um, one story that Johnny Grunge has shared and also Nancy's sister is one time... Nancy's sister called Johnny Grunge, uh, who lived fairly close to Nancy and Chris, and had to have Johnny come to the house and take Chris away so that her sister could get Nancy out. Johnny gets Chris to calm down. Chris goes back home. Nancy is staying with her sister. Uh, a day or so goes by. Chris calls Nancy's sister asked to speak to Nancy. Um, they talk for a while, and Nancy makes the decision to go home. The timeline on this is a little strange, but Stephen Regal, or William Regal, as he was known in the WWE, and uh, Chris Jericho brought this up. On Talk is Jericho, when they were talking about the Benoit episode of Dark Side of the Ring, he mentioned this on the only tribute that WWE ever did to Chris Benoit, and it was because they didn't know the details of what had happened yet. Um, Regal said something very interesting in his tribute to Chris, and Chris kind of called Steve on it and was just like, you know, what was that about? And it turns out the police had been to the Benoit residence quite a few times. Uh, and some friends of theirs, this is now the weekend of the event. Uh, some friends of theirs had been over that week. Don't know if it was the Thursday or 
Friday. And if it was Friday, that would be the day Chris murdered Nancy. Um, they were there for a party and a very heated argument broke out between Chris and Nancy while they still had the company there. <clears throat> and it got so bad and they'd almost forgotten that they had company over to the point to where the company let themselves out and just left. Didn't say anything to Nancy or Chris. And that's scary. That's very scary. And if things like that are happening, then, you know, that's bad. Um, and Stephen had also, Stephen Regal had also kind of known a few more details of the events in question than the WWE did since he lived in the area. <sighs> Strange occurrence number five. The weekend of the murders was also the weekend of WWE Night of Champions 2006. Chris was wrestling for the ECW brand of WWE at that point. Not the same ECW from the past. WWE bought them in bankruptcy. And Chris was slated to win the ECW World Heavyweight Championship. This has been revealed multiple times over, over the course of the year since this happened in 2006. That weekend, Chris had said, you know, I kind of want to go home. I want to, you know, be with my family and my kids before the event. Um, pick me up from the airport the day of the show. He was telling this to Chavo Guerrero. Uh, this is taken from a transcript uh, from the Dark Side of the Ring episode. About 5.30 in the morning, I get a text and it was from Chris's phone. It said, the dogs are in the enclosed pool area and the back door is open. 30 seconds later, I get another text from Nancy's phone. And it says the exact same thing. I get another text right afterwards, and he tells me his address. Uh, the next morning, Chavo goes and discusses with referee Scott Armstrong and confirms that he had the exact same text from Chris's phone. They then go to uh, Johnny Ace, uh, John Laurinaitis, and say, you know, hey, you know, we are supposed to pick up Chris. We got this weird text. Uh, Johnny Laurinaitis then goes to Vince, and Vince sends Atlanta police to go and check on Chris. And, well, that's where things get strange. At this point, nobody knows what happened uh, inside the home. Uh, Atlanta PD reaches back out to WWE and just tells them that, you know, we have a family tragedy all the members of the Benoit family are deceased 
Vince McMahon, before the pay-per-view, arranges an emergency meeting with all the employees of the WWE, where he announces that everybody in the Benoit family had passed. Now, we unfortunately get into what exactly happened inside the house. This is taken from police reports uh, and the person that wrote a book about um, the murders of Nancy Daniel and then the suicide of Chris. Um, On Friday, June 22nd, 2007, uh, Chris Benoit murdered his wife Nancy in an upstairs bedroom. Her limbs were bound. Her body was wrapped in a towel. A copy of the Bible was left by her body. Injuries indicated that Benoit had pressed his knee into her back while pulling on a cord around her neck, causing strangulation. Officials said there were no signs of immediate struggle. Toxicology reports revealed that there was alcohol in her system, but were unable to determine whether it had been present before death or was a decomposition product. Decomp also made it difficult to estimate per death levels of hydrocodone and alprazolam found in the therapeutic levels in her body. Medical examiner saw no evidence that she was sedated when she was killed. Danielle Benoit. Daniel Benoit, not Danielle. Jesus Christ. June 23rd, 2007. (sighs) Fuck. Daniel was suffocated and killed in his bedroom. A copy of the Bible was left next to his body. Daniel had internal injuries to the throat area, showing no bruises. Exact time of death is unknown. It's determined that Daniel was sedated with Xanax and was likely unconscious when he was killed. Daniel's body also had just started showing signs of decomposition, but not as far along as Nancy's. It was later alleged that Daniel had Fragile X Syndrome, and this was the cause of domestic problems in the Benoit family. It also been suggested that needle marks on Daniel's arm were a result of growth hormones given to him because Benoit and his family considered him undersized due to Fragile X. Chris Jericho revealed in his book in 2011 that it turned out that Daniel didn't have Fragile X, but at the time it made sense because I was grasping at straws. District Attorney Ballard later released a statement saying that the court, that the, a source with access to Daniel's medical records found no mention of any pre-existing mental or physical ailments. Likewise, Daniel, Daniel Benoit's teachers reported that he was on par with other students and not about to be held back as previously thought. 
speaking publicly for the first time in a major public interview on Talk is Jericho, Nancy's sister unequivocally denied any claims that Daniel ever had Fragile X or any other such condition. She also stated claims of needle marks on Daniel's arms were preposterous. A lot of misinformation that was being brought out there. After the murders, some other weird things started happening. Uh, about 3.30 on Saturday, June 23rd, the day that Daniel was murdered. Um, I also want to say this. In the police uh, crime scene investigative photos, a very large butcher knife that probably would have made Michael Myers jealous was also found near the base of Daniel's bed. So I'm all wondering if Chris had other ideas in how to take care of his son um, and changed his mind halfway through and just decided to strangle him that maybe it would just have been easier to strangle him than to do whatever he was planning to do with that knife um, but it was a very large knife and it is in the police crime scene photos that you can uh, get locally uh, or not well locally in at, at obviously the Atlanta PD or you know you can get them through the Freedom of Information Act um, because of the book that was written I was able to see the crime scene photos because of the book uh, so around 3.30 on Saturday June 23rd Chava Guerrero had received a voicemail from Chris stating that he had missed his flight and overslept and would be late for a house show in Beaumont, Texas. Uh, Chavo would try calling Benoit back and stated that uh, he sounded tired and groggy as he confirmed everything that he said in his voicemail. Guerrero was concerned about Benoit's tone and demeanor, called him back 12 minutes later. Chris didn't answer. Guerrero left a message asking Benoit to call him back. 344. Benoit did call Guerrero back that he didn't answer because he was on the phone with Delta Airlines changing his flight. Benoit stated he had a stressful day due to Nancy and Daniel being sick from food poisoning. Uh, Guerrero then replied with, all right, if you need to talk, I'm here. Benoit ended the conversation saying, Chavo, I love you. Uh, this was reiterated again when uh, Chavo appeared on Talk is Jericho in 2014 stating that Benoit sounded off when he talked to him especially when he said I love you uh, another co-worker who often traveled with uh, Chris and Chavo also from time to time uh, called him from outside Houston airport and Benoit answered and Benoit said Nancy was vomiting blood and that Daniel was also vomiting Benoit failed to show up to that house show in Beaumont, left a message on Chavo and uh, Chavo's phone and said that he would be on a flight that would arrive in Houston at 8 a.m. the next day for the pay-per-view and wanted Chavo to pick him up. Benoit also called and left a voicemail for an unknown friend. Sunday, the day of Night of Champions. Five text messages were sent to different co-workers between 3.51 and 3.58 a.m. using both Chris and Nancy's phones 
Four of them were the Benoit's address. The fifth stated that the family dogs were in the enclosed pool area, which we already mentioned. Uh, Guerrero and referee Scott Armstrong were two of the recipients. Uh, uh, you know, uh, Chavo was obviously woken up by these texts and went back to sleep because he had to pick Chris up at the airport in a few hours. Benoit failed to appear at the airport at 8 a.m. Sunday morning, Benoit called WWE's talent relations office, stating that his son was vomiting and that he and Nancy were at the hospital with him. Also stated that he would be taking a longer, later flight into Houston because it was scheduled to face CM Punk for the vacated ECW World Heavyweight Championship at Night of Champions. Benoit failed to appear to that show. District Attorney Ballard and the city sheriff had stated in their report that Chris Benoit committed suicide by hanging. Used a weight machine cord to hang himself, creating a noose from the end of the cord on a pull-down machine from which the bar had been removed. Benoit released the weights, causing it to strangle him. Uh, District Attorney Ballard also stated that Benoit was found hanging from the pulley cable. On a 2016 appearance on Talk is Jericho, Nancy's sister clarified some of the details further. She stated that over the weekend after the murders, uh, the search history on Benoit's computer showed that he had researched the quickest and easiest way to break a neck and had later used a towel around his neck attached to the handle of the machine when he pulled down using a believe they stated it was almost 300 pounds like 260 pounds and let it go breaking his neck instantly um another search result on his computer was of a bible story which talked about resurrecting a child so some of that seems like it may have been some level of guilt in killing Daniel. On Monday, June 25th, uh, WWE arrived in Corpus Christi for WWE Raw. That show did not take place. Instead, Vince McMahon opened the show in an empty ring and stated that Chris Benoit, his wife and son, had been found murdered and or found dead. Um, no information had been released about that yet. Uh, WWE senior officials were increasingly concerned that they hadn't heard from Chris in 24 hours. Uh, This is when Chavo and Scott Armstrong showed the text messages to John Laurinaitis. Laurinaitis took the phone or took the information to Vince and they contacted the police. And that's when the police discovered the bodies. Police notified WWE around 4.15, informing that they had discovered all three of them and that the house was now ruled a major crime scene. 
A suicide note was not discovered during the initial investigation. One was later discovered in a Bible that had been among Benoit's possessions that were first sent that were sent to his first wife and their children in Canada. Benoit's father, Michael, stated that Chris had left a handwritten notation in there saying, I'm preparing to leave this earth. Okay. A lot to digest there. I never knew any of the details surrounding Chris and Nancy, or Nancy and Daniel. Um, you know, him putting his knee in his neck and strangling her with the phone cord. Um, obviously, I knew that Daniel had been suffocated by a pillow, but not the Xanax and not the knife found near his bed. And, you know, I knew that Chris had hung himself using a weight machine. But there's a lot here that states that this was not just a random act of violence. And you know, we're going to go into what happened after the murders and everything as well. Um, but this is going to be part one um, I want to do a part two and kind of go a little bit further and th this is fuck it's so hard to talk about and I think you guys kind of heard right before I started talking about the details with Daniel like I just I didn't even know if I wanted to talk about it um and again, you know, this is a highly publicized thing. You know, it's it's been talked about on multiple episodes of Talk is Jericho. It's been talked about even on the 83 Weeks podcast with Eric Bischoff because Benoit was a big part of WCW, as we talked about. Um, and that's obviously where Chris met Nancy and, and, you know, all these other things. You know, it's been talked about to death almost. You know, the WWE completely erased... Benoit from their history. It's just so tragic. But we're going to stop this episode here. And we'll be back next week with part two of my reaction to Chris Benoit. And then we'll even do a part three where we bring somebody in that maybe feels differently. Or maybe even feels the same way I do. And we do a little debate on some of these facts. And fuck, I, I gotta end this episode. I'm sorry, guys. That's gonna do it for Money's Crazy Mind this week. I'm sorry to end it on such a down note, but we'll be back next week continuing this topic. Until then, have a week. <laughs>